0: In October 1950, the Ministry for War set up the marvellously named Flying Saucer Working Party at the insistence of Britain's wartime radar scientist, Sir Henry Tizard. This first official study of UFOs quickly reached its conclusions and published a final report before disbanding in June 1951. The report would remain secret for the next 50 years. Join us! On Aliens Explored, as we look into the report's conclusions and speculate as to how thorough the whole thing might have been and if it had been set up to serve a particular agenda. This week's episode is dedicated to our explorer of the week, Toby Foams. Toby supports this podcast through our Patreon, enabling us to continue our great UFO debate. Check out the reward schemes on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Aliens Explored to find the tier that's right for you. And I'm Neil Kelly, I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view, I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it?
1: Welcome back, listeners, to Aliens Explored, your weekly podcast where we look at UFOs, UAPs, ETs, EVEs, and all sorts of other acronyms are available. Uh, I am
0: one of your hosts, Stu Jackson. And I'm your other host, Neil Kelly. NK. SJ and NK. Let's go SJ and NK, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> NK also stands for not known. So. Not known, indeed. Yeah,
1: um, yeah now, um, we were talking last week about uh, about you getting over COVID. Um, mm. and I'm, I'm glad to hear you are getting over it, even if you are still coughing. Um, it, it occurred to me after we'd finished that recording, you were saying that uh, Janet had been saying about your excessive coughing. Yeah. You just want to tell her it's not the cough that carried you off. <laughs> and the coffin they carried you off in. <laughs> 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 oh dear me, that's one of those really dark little ditties that, that we tell mm-hmm. children, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh dear me, yeah. Um, yeah, so other than that, things are going well. Your, your new job as Mr. Monopoly, or yeah, yeah. it's going very well. Well, yeah, what what well. did we say his
0: name was? Um, Penny, Pennybag? he, he no, was, Pennybags. He uh, was. He was previously um, your rich uncle. Was it Milton? Not Milton. It might be Milton. Well, Milton
1: Bradley were MB Games, weren't they? Uh, yeah, homemade Monopoly.
0: Milburn. It was your. He was your rich uncle, Milburn Pennybags.
1: That Milburn was the Monopoly Pennybags. man on the box. Yeah, you know, the guy
0: with the. <laughs> You know, he's got the top hat and the and the big moustache and the sack of money. Here was your rich uncle, Milburn Pennybags. Um, he, um, uh, but in 1999, Hasbro Games officially changed his name to Mr. Monopoly. And I have to say that playing Monopoly Lifestyle, it's a kind of an escape room game. So you go around. Um, it's. It's a life-size board, but it's a reduced board, so there'll only be one property on each colour. But there are four different boards. But every property you land on, you actually go inside it into a room and perform some sort of puzzle or task, Um, all all sorts of of odd things. It's it's a lot of fun. I I, I think naming it – I think it is misnamed Monopoly because when you play Monopoly, the board game, what you experience is that um, someone – because of a little bit of a, a luck at the beginning of the game, will be slightly ahead of you, and you'll watch them get richer and richer and richer as you get poorer and poorer. And you have to keep on going around the board, getting poorer and poorer and poorer until eventually um, you are crushed by the monopoly and and um, and ruined. You become very much like life. And- <laughs> and bankruptcy. yeah, that's it's like life. that's what I believe yeah you know, some say that's what the game was illustrated to teach you that you know you you get you you start off with a free market, but because it's an unregulated free market, someone, because of some little advantage, in this case luck, they get a monopoly and they just crush everyone else and everyone else ends up in poverty. Um, that doesn't happen in monopoly life size. people people, People might be a little bit down on the amount they started out with, or they might be a little bit up, or they might be a lot up. But, but no one gets really. There's not that sense of being ruined that you get on the board game. So I, I suspect that Hasbro, Hasbro Games Inc. have um, have a bit of a political agenda, a bit of a propaganda venture. I <laughs> don't know. Monopoly is a good thing. I'm okay. I'm I'm, I'm
1: going to take a more Possibly naive view, but um, mm. a better view anyway. Mm. And and say, well, when it's when it's the game of Monopoly, I know people, some people, when they play, it get very upset. And they get quite emotional about it all, and maybe that's what they're trying to avoid
0: with Monopoly life size. Um. Yeah, I mean. The Monopoly life size—the game doesn't last long enough. You don't have that board game experience of going round and round and round, and getting poorer and poorer and poorer, and <laughs> you know, losing your properties and constantly landing on other people's property. And yeah, you know, the, the more you, the poorer you become, the, the, the quicker the rate at which you become poor. That doesn't happen on the life size board. It doesn't last long enough. People do behave in odd ways. Um, a lot of people book it as family entertainment. They will book it for mm-hmm. a, a birthday party or for a, a hen do. I haven't seen it really for a stag do it's very popular with people from south asia for some reason Mm, you've mentioned this yeah yeah i I don't know why it seems to be very popular with them Um, but it's also used by some companies as a corporate team building event Mm. so they will book an entire board and we will be aware that all the four teams in the room there they they all know each other and there are people who Behave the way that corporate people often do when they're sent on a team-building event that they really don't want to be there. You know, I need to be back in the office looking at that spreadsheet or finalising that report, and you know, because now now I've got to find time to play this stupid game with my colleagues who I hate, and, <laughs> and 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 they and they act up. I can I can I don't even have to be told that it's a corporate event. I can just tell by the way when, when you get a middle-aged man behaving like a little kid. Yeah, then you know it's a corporate do. <laughs> so, give us an yeah. example. Um, they start. They they start. They make stupid jokes all the time. They won't shut up because I've got quite a lot to tell them. And sometimes you'll tell them something, and then they'll start making a noise. And you have to quiet them down. They tell them the next thing. And they start making. Noise, and I said look, I've got to tell you. <laughs> this is all stuff trying to just trying to get them to roll the dice, or they'll come and pick up one of the big sort of decorative dices. Dies. And and as if they're going to throw that, which would probably you know, kill someone if it hit them. <laughs> right. um, yeah, it, it's all, it's all the stupid jokes, it's the the banter, it's just the yeah odd behaviour that people wouldn't do out <laughs> in a normal environment. They wouldn't do it there with their families. You wouldn't behave like that in front of their kids. Um, so oh, yeah. so there is that. Um, yeah, it's used. To, it's used to a lot for team building events. A lot of companies seem to do. It. I think it. I think it's ideal because you've just got a load of seri- a load of escape rooms um, and all sorts of things to puzzle. And because they, a lot of the games require cooperation between the team members, and there's a healthy bit of rivalry. But as I say, you don't get someone massively winning and everyone else bankrupt. The game mm-hmm. doesn't. Will never go that far. It's it's based on the board game. So, yeah, I don't think um, – but, yeah, as I say, people do get and, – and I think when people get very frustrated at the board game, it's because they wanted to win. And it's, it's kind of in their DNA, no, I'm playing this board game and I want to win. And when they see themselves just losing and just constantly losing and getting worse and worse and worse, they don't understand that maybe that's the point of the game. This is the lesson you, you're going to learn from this game, that that's well, the way it goes just because of a, a little bit of bad luck at the beginning.
1: Well, win or lose, I'm looking forward to coming and playing Monopoly Life Size someday. Oh, when are you coming? I have no idea yet. But speaking mm. of banter, silly jokes, and people talking incessantly, and they just won't shut up when you're trying to tell them something. Mm. Um,. That brings us nicely on to our episode of Aliens Explored. Uh, don't yeah, you <laughs> yeah okay. I'll go, like I'll, go, our, I'll go with it. I'll, I'll go along with it. podcast when you say that. <laughs> yeah. But this week uh, we're, to, uh, we're we're probably going to be in a lot of agreement uh, over this one today. The Flying Saucer Working Party.
0: It Um, sounds so British, doesn't it? The men from the ministry and their bowler hats and pinstripe trousers, turning up uh, report.
1: Well, it was set up in 1950, uh, so this is just after World War Two had ended.
0: Well, and and crucially, just after Roswell, when 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 the whole flying saucer when the word flying saucer came into currency. And there was a, an awful lot of interest in that sort of thing. Um, Hollywood was, I think, by that time, was already making, you know, they'd switch from making sort of gothic-based horror movies to science-based horror movies, aliens yes. from space, flying saucers.
1: Yes, that's very true. But here's the interesting thing. So the guy who, who sort of set it up, who mm. proposed it in the first place, Sir Henry Tizard, or yeah. Tizard, I don't know. Quite the pronunciation for that. Um, uh, interestingly enough, he's the guy behind uh, the radar system that uh, was used in World War II. Okay, there you go. So one of uh, Churchill's chief scientific advisors. Mm. Uh, he's the guy who who wanted this uh, this committee, this this investigation. Um, done and he was given permission Mm. to. But the reason he wanted to do it, even though, like you rightly said, there was a huge amount of interest and um, people were suddenly taking flying saucers very, very seriously. Mm. But he wanted this set up because he was sick and tired of UFO reports being dismissed out of hand.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, the guy who uh, designed and built radar... Um, was someone who'd be very concerned about protecting our airspace, and the idea that there are these vehicles potentially entering our airspace. Some people are saying, "Oh well, you know, don't know what it is. Well, don't bother with it then." You know, no. we don't know what kind of technology has been developed. I mean, Britain had come out of a war against um, a technologically superior enemy. The Nazis developed all kinds of things. They developed mm-hmm. drones, ballistic missiles, jet aircraft. Um, you know, Britain went to war with biplanes and horse-drawn, a horse-drawn army, and they ran into armoured columns and with with you know, full full close air support, and we got our asses kicked. Absolutely. Our asses.
1: doesn't doesn't that strike you? Certainly, it strikes me as odd that that Sir Henry was worried that in government ufos were not being taken seriously given how recent the nazi threat was and like you say technologically mm. superior um mm. you've you've just had roswell like you say and yeah. the government he was concerned the government was not taking ufo seriously. i find that bizarre
0: um i, I can imagine that there will be people working in, and it it wasn't the Ministry of Defence in those days; it was the the, the Ministry of War. Mm. Yes. Um, so I've, I've got to pick up Wikipedia on that, and um, correct them on that <laughs> that that note. It was the Minister Ministry for War. Um, I suppose they would have assumed that that the enemy's capabilities were were similar to. Our, I remember what lots of things happened in 1950. Well, going back, you know, the British people decided they were sick of conservatives. And before the Second World War was even over, they kicked out Winston Churchill and elected a Labour government by a landslide. And that Labour government did all sorts of things that we still benefit from to this day. They created the welfare state. They created the National Health Service. They nationalised all sorts of industries and utilities they, they had a massive house building program. They cleared the slums, did all these things. And then suddenly, after one term of office, they're out on their ear and Winston Churchill's back. And mm. um, so, back in 1950, also in 1950, uh, the Korean War broke out. Um, North Korea invaded South Korea. And um, the Russians kind of, the Russians could have vetoed a, a, an American led UN force was sent to Korea to fight uh, fight the, the beat back, the, the North Koreans. And um, the Soviet Union could have vetoed that. They have a permanent seat on the Security Council. But they didn't for some reason. Maybe they wanted a war. Um, but what happened in 1950 was um, well, Britain had developed jet aircraft uh, along with the Germans in the Second World War. The Germans, obviously, um, were, were more more proactive in their use of them. Um, British jet aircraft in the Second World War well, apparently were, were only used for home defence, for defending our own airspace. They, yeah. they were worried that they might, you know, might, might get shot down and uh, an enemy might reverse engineer the technology, even though th- the enemy already had that technology. America went, to, went into Korea without jet planes and they encountered the MiG, the Russian MiG, Fl- probably flown by Russian pilots, which had been reverse engineered from um, R- Rolls Royce jet engine technology, which Russians had simply come over to England and just asked for it, and they've been <laughs> given you know, given the plans, and so they built these jet planes. So um, well, they were allies. We, we um, but not by well. They, they quickly at, stopped the they at the time that they at the it, <laughs> no, no. By by that time, you know, the the you know, the Iron Curtain was coming down. It was it was clear that you know the, the Russians were were the, you know, the Germany had been defeated. The Russians were now a, a rival. Maybe there was still that vestige of cooperation. They said, "Oh yes, of course, yeah. These are the plans for our for our jet engine, and here's a. We'll let you see one and how it works and and all this." Um, but I think because. Um, we'd gone into war in Korea. We kind of knew what the enemy's capability was. You know, we were seeing it. We, we, we were we were fighting it head on. So so there was there was that going on. So well, that, that yeah, just adds I'd, to
1: my confusion as to why were UFOs not being taken seriously by well, that, that is
0: the reason what what i'm thinking is you know the the, the air force and our air defense are saying well we know what the russians have got we know that they've got these these big four-engine bombers and we know they've got these fast migs these the mig-15s so you suddenly see a light in the sky flying around also sort of erratically they would think well i don't know what that is but that's not something the russians have got because if they did have it we'd be seeing it we'd be coming up against it in korea
1: Mm, I think think I'd be more concerned about what I didn't know. Like, what have they got that I don't know about? But uh, uh, anyway, Um, um, so, yeah, so Sir Henry's Tizard has got himself in a tizzy over (laughs) Mm. this. Uh, And, yeah, he, with permission, he sets up the flying saucer working party. Mm. Uh, uh, Now, it's worth bearing in mind that this was not public publicly acknowledged or known mm. about whatsoever until 2001 uh, so mm. 50 years later and that would uh, be the 50 year
0: rule yeah the secrecy yeah, well, it,
1: it was uh, uncovered by a uh, chap we've mentioned um, well, in fact we've done an entire episode on him dr david clark and one of mm. his freedom of information requests um yeah so uh, i mean this was a this very short
0: lived thing it, it was set up, the, the Flying Saucer Working Party was set up in October 1950, and their mm. final report was published in June 1951. So it lasted nine months. And then the, that the, that secret report was released 50 years later to Dr. David Clark and Andy Roberts by the now, Ministry here, of Defence. Here
1: we are in 2022, uh, mm. far more advanced in our technologies, in our ability. Ability to collate information. I mean, we're we're living in the information age now. Mm. And yet a government department or a committee or whatever will be asked to provide a report and it'll take them a couple of years.
0: Yeah, but they didn't. They right? didn't get a couple so of years.
1: This committee not only produced the report in a short space, but actually did all the research leading up to the report as well mm. yeah, in a matter of months. I f- I find that really really
0: incredibly
1: convenient.
0: Um it it all seems as if it's it's a box ticking exercise that someone's concerned that these these we're seeing these phenomena in the sky and we need to look into it. Um they set up this committee that very very quickly publishes a report that says that all all the all the phenomena they studied were, was down to astronomical or meteorological phenomena misidentification of aircraft balloons birds and the like optical illusions psychological delusions and deliberate hoaxes they decided that in in 9 months from when setting up the psychological to their final
1: delusions
0: report. yeah i mean that's that's the big one isn't it that's the one where they say, yeah these these people reported this stuff are just nut jobs yeah people who claim to have been kidnapped by aliens or i don't don't know if there were reports of kid, alien abductions <laughs> and those it's it's days. hard
1: to say because they only they only looked at a few hundred cases, mm. which is barely scratching the surface when it comes to UFO reports. Mm. A few hundred is nothing. I mean, statistically speaking, that's nothing. That's not enough to make a judgment on by no.
0: normal statistical analysis. Rules. Do, do we know how, how many people were involved in this?
1: Mm, not entirely, no, because this was a very secret um, department. Yeah. Basically, all we've really got is the fact it was set up and the report is mm. pretty much all we've got from it. Now, it is worth bearing in mind, though, that even then, when they've they've come up with these results, they've only looked at a few hundred cases. Hmm. Um, the, I mean, to me, it's absolutely obvious they've come at this with confirmation bias. They've not,
0: yeah, absolutely. They've I not formed a committee 100%. to,
1: yeah, to to investigate UFOs. They've come up with a committee to debunk UFOs. Yeah, um, and even then, their own report comes up with a handful of cases that they find credible. Hmm. There's there's three in lived- particular where they talk about metallic discs and the uh, the witnesses are credible, the information is credible, and mm. um, they exhibit sort of strange behaviours. Mm. And still the report says at the end, and I'm going to quote, we recommend very strongly that no further investigation of reported mystery aerial phenomena be undertaken unless and until some material evidence becomes available. Mm. Well, if you don't investigate it, that material evidence is never going to become available anyway, is it?
0: No, we don't want to know. (laughs) It it really is head in
1: the sand stuff, that. Mm. Yeah, don't investigate it until an investigation produces something.
0: Mm. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, you know, Sir Henry Tizard, being the eminent radar scientist he was, insisting that these sightings should not be dismissed without some form of proper scientific study. He obviously had the the influence and the leverage to make sure that there was there would would be some form of proper scientific study, even though. It wasn't actually, he just pretended it was a proper scientific study when when it looks well, like yeah. it was nothing of the kind.
1: That's where it gets a bit weird for me, is he oversaw the Flying Saucer Working Party. Hmm. Or the FSWP. To yeah. To use an acronym.
0: I mean, even the fact that they called it the Flying Saucer Working Party, that sounds like more like a nickname for it than the actual official name for it. You, you would have thought it would have had more a, more of a, a scientific sounding title i mean flying source was a popular culture kind of reference and it would be, you know, the the yeah, the the working party on unexplained aerial phenomena you know um, yes. the, the, uh. you know, the work working party on on um, on uh, studying the 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 potential threat to our to our airspace. In the long term. I
1: mean, it was allegedly a scientific study. So, yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying there. Mm. At the same time, given how new a phenomenon UFOs were were Mm. seen to be, yeah, yeah, I can sort of see them coming up with it. But I think it's far more likely that there was a serious study done. By a different mm. group, um, and this was just a yeah a lip
0: service project. So, I mean, just to be clear, this this flying saucer working party wasn't generally known about. The government didn't announce it publicly that we're looking into these phone and, nope, and whatever. not
1: until two thousand
0: and one. That's the only time w- you it became would think, public. Because you would think if you if you if you're just going to set something up for show you would be showing it wouldn't you? you you'd be telling people yes this is what we're doing and we've concluded that there's nothing to see um why why keep it secret if you've decided you know, you're just going to debunk things what you're not actually going to look at things properly it depends who or, your target audience some...
1: because if there was a serious um department or group of people researching ufo's that didn't want the PM to know, the Prime Minister to know about. Mm. Um, then, yeah, setting up a group to report to the Prime Minister that there's nothing to see here. So, a, he doesn't investigate it further. He doesn't. Yeah, what what was it in uh, the movie Independence Day when um, when the president like is is taken to Area Fifty One and was to, like. Why was I never told about this? You know, it's mm. like um what do they call it? Something denial. Um plausible. Plausible, plausible denial. denial. Plausible deniability, that's the phrase. And yeah, I can see that, that you know, Churchill was basically handed this information, so you've got plausible deniability.
0: Um So if if Churchill was the, the I mean, is it possible? That um, they set up this working party to look into it because they've given it this name. If they'd have given it a more serious sounding name, I mean, uh, what was it Nick Pope said about it? He said it was um, arguably the most marvelously named committee in the history of the civil service. And I can't really disagree with him on that. If they'd have made it sound more serious and more scientific, um, maybe it would have gone ahead. But it's almost like they set it up with a view to, you know, when we tell. Prime Minister about this. Oh, of course. I was going to say the other thing that happened in in nineteen fifty was was that um, Churchill became Prime Minister. So um, did he become?
1: I, I I wouldn't. I couldn't say. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I you say you couldn't disagree with Nick Pope on that. Just by virtue of the fact it's Nick Pope, I can find a way of disagreeing with that. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, but I've got my own biases there.
0: Where is it? No, I think,
1: Um, but no, I I can see why it would be called the Flying Source Working Party as a um as a catch-all term. I mean, there was even a a memo from Churchill, um, and this is how kind of informal the whole thing was. The Mm. memo, official memo from to to his Secretary of State for Air, said. What does all this stuff about flying saucers amount to? What can it mean? What is the truth? Let me have a report at your convenience. That's Who about said that? Us. That was a memo from Churchill to his yeah, secretary okay. of state for air.
0: So just a, a, a timeline on the politics. Um, the Labour government was voted out in the general election of 1951. So the... the the flying saucer working party would have been set up under the Labour government, um, and almost immediately, I mean, Churchill would have been elected. Doesn't actually. I mean, elections are usually in May, aren't they? General elections are usually in May. Oh, here we go. Um, no, Churchill. Churchill wasn't elected until October fifty one. So. This was all done under the Labour government.
1: Right. Well, why is it public knowledge this was the report given to Churchill then?
0: Um, well, I suppose by the time the report... Well, when was the report put together? June. It was in nineteen fifty-one. June, yeah. Was released to UFO research. It doesn't say... um, so this is all a bit confusing. So it was set up in October 1950 under yep. the Labour government. It, it published its final report in June 1951 under the Labour government, um, and then Churchill was became prime minister in October 1951. So it's not like there's a sudden change of prime minister who suddenly who says, "Oh, I'm not interested in all this nonsense." Um, So I'm just just trying to confirm the the date that... Well, that
1: kind of makes um, it... uh, And uh,
0: interestingly,
1: so I mentioned that memo that Churchill sent out. That wasn't at the time of this report, to be fair. No. No. so, ah, right. No, I, I think I can help with the timeline a bit here. So it wasn't that that report was specifically given to Churchill at that time. At the time it was no. released, but you see, although the report said, "Oh yeah, there's nothing to worry about here. UFOs are nothing to be concerned about," it wasn't long after then, in 1952, mm. during the summer, and we talked about this on a previous episode that the White Hmm. House was buzzed by UFOs over a few days, Hmm. even chased by jet aircraft. That was obviously a year after this report came out. It was the UFOs buzzing the White House that caused Churchill to send that memo out saying, what's all this about flying saucers then? And... On him asking that question, he was then presented with that report. So yes, it was the Labour no. government who who commissioned and asked for that report. I mean I'm still gonna say mm. the same thing. I think lip service. Mm. I think lip service was paid. You didn't want the Prime Minister knowing about it, like what was really going on.
0: So you, you've got you've got two Prime Ministers involved. You've got the Labour Prime Minister who commissioned this thing. Or the, yeah. the Labour government that commissioned this thing, um, and after after yes nine months and a brief report said so right that's it that's the matter settled that's done and dusted, and then you get a new prime minister who comes in and says I want to see that report um, gets shown it and oh well that seems fine with me oh, let's just not do anything more about it or or certainly nothing more that we're going to tell people about yeah yeah and that's it. There you go. I mean, you can imagine a Tory MP like Winston Churchill was um, elected on the basis of being um, no-nonsense, sensible, not prone to flights of fancy, you know, mm. common sense, all this. Um, if he suddenly starts talking about flying saucers, a lot of his voters are going to say, wait a minute, who's, who's this Are we elected? Well, say, I mean, a- what's all
1: this stuff about? You know, mm. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, and of course, like this was all kept secret anyway. Um, but there mm. we go. Anyway, we've hit that point in the show when we summarise our thoughts then. So, the FSWP, the Flying Saucer Working Party, Neil. Mm. What do you make
0: of it? Um, um. It sounds like it was someone just... Paying lip service, so the, the the Sir Henry Tizard got got himself worked up about all these all these phenomena, and someone said, "Oh well, we better be seen to be doing something." And uh, what should we call it? Well, oh, let's just call it the Flying Saucer Working Party, and yeah. um and then we'll, we'll we'll produce a report that says there's nothing to see here, and yeah. there we go. So this is one of those
1: occasions when uh, they're quite <clears throat> rare, but they do happen when you and I are mm. in complete agreement, Neil. Because, yeah, I think it was just a an exercise in disinformation
0: uh, Yeah, a debunking well. exercise. It was just set totally. up just to say, look, there's nothing to see. Uh,
1: but what do our listeners think? This is what we always want to know um, is, are we right? Was it just an exercise in debunking or was there more to it? Uh, was it perhaps a more serious look? Um, or is there more to this story that we've not covered? Uh, do let mm. us know via the usual means. You can email us, aliensexplored at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Aliens Explored. Or if you subscribe to our Patreon program, aliens ex- well, patreon.com forward slash aliens Explored. Pick a tier, help supporters, then you get exclusive access to our Discord server where you can chat about this and other subjects connected with uh, UFOs and what have you with like minded people, including ourselves. Uh, so <laughs> join us next time though when we'll be looking at something a bit more recent, uh, but it's still government black projects. We're going to be looking at Project now. Depending on huh, where you come at it, it's got several different names. This one, Project Aurora, Project Dark Star, Project Astra. So we we'll be looking at that and trying looking to forward to it. what's going on with it. So you don't want to miss that. In the meantime, keep watching all those freedom of information requests because you don't know what they might come out with even after 50 years. And of course, keep watching the skies. Take care for now. Bye-bye. Aliens Explored is a Fiegel Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit AliensExplored.com.